So, uh, we'd like to welcome our latest, most esteemed guest, uh, Dr. Meribeth Dame, to our podcast. Mary Beth is uh, disgustingly educated, is the way I'd like to describe it. Um, starting off with a bachelor in uh, voice performance, uh, a master's in sacred music, and a doctorate in music performance and anatomy. Uh, and Mary Beth also spent a good 20 years in London doing a postdoctorate research at the Royal College of Surgeons, um, which is kind of a big deal. Um, and then uh, spent a lot of her years um, teaching individuals, singers, and masterclasses. Um, on various subjects in anatomy, in singing, and in most recently uh, the teacher certification program, Core Singing, um, which some some of the listeners may well be aware of. I know when we put it on the Facebook page, um, some some people were like, "Yeah, I can't wait for that to come out." So here she is, Dr. Dame. Welcome. Hello, thank you. And let me just say, I didn't spend twenty years at the Royal College of Surgeons. That was two. Okay. <laughs> Oh, the ty- no, that was a typo. That's what that was. 20 years in London, and then, and then full stop, and then I'll just ignore the rest. So apart from that uh, slip, was that introduction reasonably accurate? Absolutely perfect, thank you. Oh, great. So, so, and what has your journey been through, through music and voice teaching so far? Because you're, a lot of your... Um, a lot of your history is very educational-based, and a lot of it is based in fact and science and things that we genuinely or, or, or would say that we, we know a fair bit about but I know that actually the journey you've taken in yourself as a teacher has been very varied like so wh- wh- where have you come from since since you started? Wow uh, the first thing that actually comes to mind is is for me is I think it's curiosity killed the cat and satisfaction brought it back basically um, I've always been a curious person, and I think um, I dissected my first doll to my mother's absolute horror um, when I was fairly young because I thought I might be a surgeon. <laughs> so I destroyed a doll <laughs> in the process. And somebody might put you in therapy for that, wouldn't they? <laughs> Some people would. I'm sure the psychologist could make an awful lot of that. But, you know, it started out certainly with an insatiable curiosity and uh I think I was told by my neighbor who took care of me from the time I was like three that I never stopped singing. So singing was a passion and a part of me from the time I was really, really young. And I think um, in the generation that I grew up, certainly uh, from the South in North Carolina, it was not such an in thing to try to be a performer. So uh, having a family that had no background in music made it difficult for me to say, okay, I'm going to go to New York and become famous singing you know, and do that. I didn't have the courage at that time to really follow that fully. And yet my passion was the voice. So it's, it's turned out in some really, really interesting ways. And certainly the first was, was academic. Um, the, co- the college I attended in Winston-Salem, Salem College was a really fine performance at, um, school. And the teacher that I had, her name was Joan Jacobowski, and she's still alive, bless her, and uh, an amazingly curious woman who 
got me reading all kinds of things. And 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 the end, I think I read every vocal book, including all the vocal pedagogy books, in the library at that time. I just made it a goal of mine, and I listened to endless hours of singing. And, and we would get together and listen to singers and compare them and have a great time chatting about them, something I'm not sure college students do today. I'm not sure they have the time to do that, but we seem to find it. So, so yeah, I mean, performance has always been part of me. I started dancing and singing. I was on stage at age three doing tap solos, <laughs> you can imagine. So <laughs> being in front of an audience has always been part of my work. And, but uh, certainly um, after college, I, I became very, very interested in how the voice worked. And we had studied William Bernard in our vocal pedagogy course at, at college at that time. And as you know, they've had vocal pedagogy for many, many, many years in the U.S. compared to other areas of Europe and so forth. It was simply part of the curriculum that you learn how to teach as well. So um, we studied William Bernard, and and in the end, I really wanted to go study with him because we'd read his book. And so I went out one summer to USC, University of Southern California, and did his vocal pedagogy course and then decided to enroll in the doctorate there to work under him. So that's what I did. And part of his dream was that that there would be someone who wanted to teach, who knew they weren't going to be like full-time performing, but really wanted to be a teacher who understood how the voice worked because there were a lot of old myths about how it works, and there still are. <laughs> but um, it was... It was as if people were writing books to make singing fit the anatomy and not the other way around. And that, no, they were no, they were adjusting the anatomy to the singing to make sure that it sounded like they were correct in how the how the voice worked. So, and there was also all that hand-me-down tradition, the oral tradition of how to teach singing and how singing was. So he felt very strongly that someone should should understand it more. And there were a couple of us who, who went into that program. Uh, some of you may know the name Tom Cleveland. He's very well known here in the U.S. And uh, he went a little bit different way from me. He's more in the medical field now. But um, I certainly loved anatomy and by uh, Bernard got me into, he entered me into the anatomy course in the dental school at USC. And I had not had any science for many years. So it was like, oh my God, you know, so, and to me, it always needed to be practical. So I ended up teaching it to dancers, singers, doctors, dentists, uh, you name it, and, and going into their clinics because I wanted to know how it was used. So it was a, it was kind of a, a real wonderful adventure into the human body, which to me is one of the greatest miracles of all times. Mm -hmm. And, and I have enormous respect for, for it and, and love it. <laughs> and, and so I also, because I'd been involved in dance, very, very interested in movement. I, I did 20 years of Alexander technique and that was another journey in itself. I did some Feldenkrais as well, and I had played a lot of sport. So I've always been involved in not only the physical aspects, but the performance aspects. And it's one reason today I'm really, really interested in looking at what sport has accomplished and what they've studied and, 
in comparison to the singers who are a little bit afraid to move outside their area to go steal what these people are giving us, handing us in terms of performance that is really relevant to to what we do. So anyway, then I, I taught and taught singing pretty traditionally because that's what I knew to do, but explored. And then when I won the NIH <clears throat> postdoctoral fellowship, then and went to London, then that just sort of opened up all my creative doors as well. I got back involved in singing, dancing, acting, took hours of classes, did research, wrote a book, and thought I was on holiday compared to the university. (laughs) (laughs) And then I, I just said, okay, I think that maybe my creative work is broader than what I can do in the university because there's so many requirements of things of faculty and things. And so I just thought, and I didn't want to be a pure researcher. That really, really didn't interest me. Performance is what is, has always interested me. So basically that's a rather potted history. And then I got involved in every kind of healing you can imagine, all kinds of alternative healing, um, all kinds of energy work, uh, Tai Chi, Qigong, you name it. And that just broadened me. And I kept saying, what will happen if we do this in singing, or if I try this? What what will what will go on? And and much to my surprise, there was a lot. <laughs> you know? And I thought, you know, we have to look outside ourselves and outside the singing world to bring in these things and be willing to experiment rather than follow a recipe. And I think, you know, there are. There are a lot of people who are far more comfortable being told what to do. Um, and part of that, I think, is our education. Uh, so, But learning to think for yourself is really, really important for a singing teacher. And every singing teacher I know is really a hugely creative person. And I just think they need permission to go for it. Yeah. Rather than say, oh, how do I do this exercise? How do I do this? And is this one inch or two inches or three inches or is this exactly this and and uh, see what happens every student's different so anyway I've rambled on and on but that's a, that's a wonderful segue anyway there Mary Beth in, into you mentioned there that about um, the the allowance of freedom and creativity in I guess teachers and singers and you and you see that as a, as a good thing and and is that the main um, either driver or outcome of your philosophy, if we call it that, or or are there other things as well? Because it is, I mean, it says that that your philosophy, if you call it that, is a mixture of Eastern culture, Western traditions, and uh, quantum mechanics. Now, you could say yeah. that those three things are actually quite opposing um, opposing forces in many ways. So, all those, all those, how do you combine those things, and what is for you? the main uh, outcome of, of, of that fusion. I'd like to add to that as well. If you're at home and you need to Google quantum mechanics, it's fine. I had to. Mm. Yeah. I was a, oh, I'd, I'd heard it on, um, I think, uh, what was that program with Scott Bakula? Quantum Leap, I was thinking of at that point. Uh, but I had to look up quantum mechanics and then I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So, But much like much like formants and harmonics, in the world, <laughs> yeah. it won't be something that you pick up straight away. Let's be... <laughs> right? I am not a physicist. Um, 
I think that certainly the progress that we're making scientifically right now has been due to a lot of the work of the physicists. And what has happened is that has been taken into the self-development world. And, and people are going, if A plus B equals C plus D, you know, and, and coming to a, different, a lot of different conclusions. And I'm sure <clears throat> that a pure scientist would probably take umbrage at, at some of it. But what the physicists are saying and what you know, they're exploring now is that our whole world is made of particles. And therefore, we are all connected, and there's not this empty space between us that we are a field, that as a human being, we are actually a, a bio field or quantum field made up of these particles. We just look solid. <laughs> and, and therefore, we, we extend far beyond what we normally extend. So if you combine that with Eastern thought, Eastern thought is that your mind governs everything. Your intent, the way you think, sets up the way you live your life. And basically, a quantum field that has intelligence uh, is going to be able, when you, when you tap into that, you're going to be able to guide your life in a far better way. If you're in touch with that, then you are trying to memorize a recipe. Uh, but that's a little harder work. That involves a lot of self-development. So it's a, as you can hear, it's a kind of mishmash of, of all these things. But certainly the world of self-development self is talking about it hugely. And, and there are some singers who, who read in these areas, but not enough yet. Uh, and certainly the core singing reading list has mainly that kind of thing. It has a lot of science stuff, but it also has a lot of work on self-development and business and very little on singing. Wow. And, and I presume the uh, Western traditions part of the concoction is talking more about the the beginnings of your teaching career and the stuff you did with William Venard, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and other things. I mean, you know, that you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater <laughs> in terms of, of where we've come. But obviously, the way we started was this was the only way. You know, there's only one God and of singing and it's classical and nothing else is different and, and you know now that's exploding it's like are you kidding <laughs> because everybody used to say well if you learn classical you can sing anything well that was a whole bunch of rubbish as the English say you know was true um, and so people are now well, I think we're at a stage where everybody's coming up with a lot of different techniques or things that have worked for other people so therefore it becomes a technique you know, rather than taking a broader look at everything and saying, okay, what's happening? And trying not to analyze it, that's pretty Buddhist, actually. <laughs> you know, just looking without uh, judging and without trying to come up with an answer yet. And I think we're at such a, such a stage that finding an answer is just totally not possible. I think we're looking, and we need to be looking. Oh, and observe so Harvey. When will yeah. it come? When will the answer come? That's the. Well, if I could answer that, I would charge a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you wouldn't be on here for a start. No, no never. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna look in your direction for the next few years. When you find out, I'm gonna be onto it. Shiny white all over. <laughs> 
we're going to need some Spielberg type effects for this one, I think. That's so it's so interesting, and I really I really feel you on the um, the giving teachers the permission to try. I mean, as well, you know, your your anatomical background and a lot of the reading that you've done. Um, I feel like this in my career as well. That the more things I've read and just gone boggle eyed at um, for a while. And then a couple of years down the line, we were only talking about it earlier today, that you suddenly start to understand those three-letter mnemonics and, um, you know, words like standard deviation. You know, when you're reading research, you just don't even know what that stuff means, right, when you first start. Um, but in the end, you read bits of research and bits and bobs, and it does allow you to bring some of that information to your studio and say to your student, uh, do you want to be a guinea pig? <laughs> you know, it's because my my clients are, are more than willing because um, they can't they trust me in that sense. And then you get to take something that's been researched but not quite understood. You you take it on with a level of education and you're able to deduce information from it. But to ha to be given teachers that confidence to say that's okay um, is how we make discoveries. And I just love that you say that's um I love the way you talk about that. Mm informed. Yeah. Well, I tell people it's also okay not to know anatomy, and but I, I have a tough time saying that because I don't know what it's like not to know. Yeah. What I hear from friends and colleagues in the business that have not followed a scientific path is, I feel so badly because everybody's saying this. And I'm, I'm also here to say, you don't have to do what everybody's saying. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Your gut, your instinct are, are very, very good communicators, and uh, it's just the brain that overrides them a lot. And, and uh, if, the, if everybody's studying anatomy, my tendency would be to run the other way, but <laughs> that's me. I'm a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell. We can tell that. So with all that said, the, uh, the theories, the non-theories... Um, <laughs> And concepts and stories that people make in their heads, and the the allowance to try what that there's a foundation. Core singing in itself. Mm. How do you organise that into something to help people? And what is that thing that helps people? Okay, I experimented a lot with core singing, and it's interesting. Um, I wanted an approach. I I'm not a method person. I don't, I'm not going to hand down a recipe that somebody's got to follow exactly. And so I, I call it an approach and I'm very stern about people calling it that and not a technique and not a method. And it basically is a scaffolding, a sort of foundation in which if you want to put wood floors or parquet floors or uh, brick or different colored furniture or whatever in there, fine. But there's some fundamental things about singing that everybody kind of talks about, but they don't always incorporate because they get lost in the detail. And that those fundamental things can form a foundation for any style uh, that you want. They you don't have to be locked into something. And some of it comes from the world of education and where education is going. Education, people learn when it's fun. Everybody knows that. And yet, teacher after teacher will start a lesson with, this is the anatomy of your larynx. You know, well, I'm mean, sorry. And I'm say, I say to people constantly, you know, I've never seen a tennis coach demand that a student know the anatomy of his arm before he hits the ball. Mm. 
and they play, they have fun, they have games, they have ways of learning different techniques in sport and in dance and in other ways that are fun and you learn at the same time. And when you learn that way, it puts it in your sort of energy field in a much bigger way than trying to plant it in one little part of your brain. So that's that's one thing that, that the way we teach needs to be fun and it needs to be a partnership, not a, a guru uh, or a mentor or a mentor or a you know a, the master and and pupil. And that is part of an old tradition that is really, really uh, sometimes difficult to get rid of. We still have a lot of remnants of that left in the voice field where you've got, you know, I am your teacher and you are my pupil. And to me, it's much more of a partnership. You do it together. And um, one of the ways of doing that is making sure that they have a video to see what they're doing so they can see for themselves, not just take my word for it. That's one thing. Um, the other comes from self-development. That's gratitude. Be grateful for your voice. Yeah. We we end up criticizing it because we learn that if we criticize it, it shows that we know something. Right. <laughs> Whether it's ourselves or others. And I don't know about you, but I've had so many pupils who stop themselves before they even sing two notes. I don't get a chance to hear it because they're busy stopping. Oh, no, that wasn't right. No. Mm. And I finally look at them and say, you say that one more time and I'm going to throw you out the window. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something a lot more diplomatic, but yeah, no, you just murder. go in there with the, with the with violence. Murder. With murder. Yeah, I will slap you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I won't do that. Okay, sorry. He take, takes it and run. Remember, you can't say things like that because Chris will just go. Next week, he's in the studio slapping people all over the place. You're it's talking a- about me here. <laughs> what? So, so absolutely not. And um, and the the last thing, really, sort of the rule of course singing is no self criticism allowed, and it goes along with that because the moment you start to to analyze, then it blocks everything and and basically also what i learned from our some of our traditional work is that there were things that we were teaching that actually block the chi or block the energy flow and then we tell people that singing's hard and that's the, the other thing is we if somebody thinks it's simple they think something's wrong with it mm. it can't be that easy so there must be something very suspect about this if it's easy so from the core singing, uh, let's say, syllabus or the things that you find useful, what, what could you extract from that that someone like a vocal coach or uh, any general singer could try at home? Yeah, okay. This is easy. And I've actually got a little video up on, on the core singing page, a little space alien demonstrating all this. Uh, but it, it is about balance, and, and I call it dynamic balance. And I think one of the words that I wanted to get rid of from very early on is the word posture. Because what I found is that people's perceptions will override anything you tell them. <laughs> and they have grown up with the idea of head up or head shoulders back, and then they walk around with their head forward and they look pretty weird because they're, that's their idea of posture. And now, um, partly due to dynamics of the singing voice and other work, it's now this straight line. Well, to me, it's not. It, it is, it's actually a very dynamic. If we are a fluid field uh, that is alive, 
then also the way we balance and align ourselves is really important. And the more aligned we are with gravity, the less work the body has to do to sing, to breathe, to speak, to be. And I took the balance that I use from principles in Qigong. And Qigong had a beautiful balance. And most people go, oh, my God, it's so much easier to breathe. It's this, it's that, okay? And it's, and it's using your imagination to establish the balance. And as the brain researchers will tell you today, the brain does not know the difference between imagination and reality. So um, this is one of the interesting arguments going on in the world of singing, which we can have another whole talk about is – the whole thing about imagination plus fact. Um, and I'm going, you know, yeah, we were supposed to eat eggs, not eat eggs before. Now we're supposed to eat them. What's the fact? And, and the same is happening in every field. So it's not just singing. So fact-based makes me sort of smile. Oh, uh, nothing is true. Nothing. Nothing. No, it's all fake news here. <laughs> So, okay, so balance. So, yeah. And sometimes it can make an, a ridiculous dramatic change in a voice is that you keep your feet forward, your toes pointing forward like making an 11, not toes out like ballet dancers. Toes forward. Toes out weaken the energy field and it can perceptibly weaken a voice. A voice can sound much stronger with feet forward, with toes forward. And that's creeping into the work because I've yelled about it a lot and people are stunned when they hear the difference if they experiment with, with the two. Uh, and the feeling inside because it creates an, a, a kind of really strong feeling deep in the body, it's like, like in the area of the spinal cord, not, not outside, inside deep. And we are talking about inside body stuff here. So, okay, so then these, there are these imaginary lines of energy and the first one is a line of energy that goes down from your sacrum or your coccyx straight down to the ground now interesting anybody with a tipped up back end with a tipped up bum <laughs> have a line that goes at an angle not straight down so by thinking and imagining that line going down your body will begin to correct itself. You don't need to physically manipulate and shift somebody um, to do that. They can begin to do it for themselves, okay? Then the next line is from the middle of the upper back up to the sky. And when I say middle of the upper back, for women it's easy. I can say about your bra line. Right. <laughs> so you can imagine where that would be on you. Then it's from there up. So I mean, these I mean, two lines. On my, on, my, on my, I prefer bikinis to be honest with you. <laughs> Under your normal clothes. Yeah, the normal clothes. Yeah, I'm always ready for a holiday. So weird. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so I show you. Uh, oh oh yes. <laughs> I'm going to strip off now. I'm going. It's warm enough. <laughs> so um, those two lines. It, are wonderful even just sitting watching TV. I think of down with the sacrum and up with the upper back, and it, it just gives me a lovely stretch. And it enables me, I'm sitting in a chair, but I'm not using the back. 
It enables me to support myself with my back without a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You just made me realise that I was basically in Notre Dame. However, on, on, the, on what you just said there, uh-huh. the, the way that Chris approached that seemed incorrect to me. It, it, it seemed rigid. Rigid. So is that what you mean? In that the, It's the intent and the focus on, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. that creates the... <laughs> and that... Is that right? Is not it. It's not right, is it? I can... So, I, uh, um, oranges, oranges under there, yeah? No. Okay. <laughs> maybe par- particle oranges, maybe. <laughs> right, really tiny, tiny ones, yeah. Yeah, okay, so those two lines, a lovely polarity. Then the next line is one that you would have needed when you just demonstrated. It's from the lower part of your breastbone or sternum down to the ground. And one of the biggest things that classical singers have been told is to lift their chest and they lift and lift. They think they never got it high enough. And what it does is create a block in the back. So the flow of chi in the back is completely locked. And it locks your diaphragm, locks your ribs, can't breathe, okay? So this line going down from the sternum goes against the the upper line from your back, okay? So you've got the only one going up is the one in the back. Everything else is going down. So you've got this lovely feel of being earthed and grounded and at the same time going up so your spine is stretched um and these are movable lines meaning you can walk walk anywhere with them you're not you're not held in place there's nothing rigid and it's energy so it's invisible you're not talking about metal rods or anything strong or firm it's it's energy thinking of light if you want then the last two are from the elbows, heavy elbows, lines going down from the elbows straight down to the ground. And this tends to really help people, the feet and the elbows tend to help them as much as anything because if your elbows are down, it keeps your shoulders down. Everybody goes and gets people, oh, get your shoulders down. If they would hold on to their elbows, the shoulders wouldn't come up. And when I say hold on, I mean as as a teacher, sometimes I go and put my hand under somebody's elbow and say, leave your elbows in my hands while you sing. And the moment they get tense or worried, that the elbows pull away from my hands. So it's, a, it's an interesting exercise. If you want to do anything with your students this week, go hang on to the backs of their elbows a little bit. <laughs> wow, okay. And then, and then align the feet and see if we can get a, uh, um, a measurement of that. Wow. It's usually a much more comfortable sound. Everybody usually says it's much easier. I haven't had anybody complain about that sound. Um, and and the, it's very interesting about the feet because for years the singing position was one foot out, forward, one foot out, backwards. So you had both feet turned out. So we taught people weak energy as a position in singing. Mm. And so, so with those lines, do they, um, I know a lot, a lot of uh, singing teachers talk about um, the alignments of the shoulders as in either rounded mm-hmm. or actually very often rounded. Do, mm-hmm. you fi- do you find your method of those imaginary lines actually aligns the shoulders in that way as well? Yeah, because keeping the elbows heavy keeps the shoulders going. As in, in the Alexander people, shoulders go out, not back. Okay. 
so you have balance on both sides, the muscles on both sides of your shoulders that way. Um, but if you keep the elbows heavy, then the shoulders just sort of slope down nicely, which is the way they're supposed to do. And so anyway, it's, it's worth experimenting with this because I, I don't want to hear a singer who's out of balance. But they're lucky if they sound really good. But secondly, they're having to work so hard to maintain balance that it takes away from the voice. Mm-hmm. So what? So is that you mentioned the Alexander technique there, and, you, and you've studied that yourself? Is that? And, and I'm, I'm sure you mentioned there. Forgive me if you didn't, but that your approach differs slightly to the. Alexander, in that theirs is more of a, in terms of the shoulders, is an instruction to create something, and yours is more of a remove obstacles and allow. Would you say that that's a fair? Well, partly. I think, I mean, I loved Alexander work, but what I found was um, that it got, like anything else, misinterpreted, and some of the most boring singing performances I've ever seen were people trying to be a be an Alexander and sing. They were very, very boring. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not what Alexander wanted or meant. But to me, this is much more dynamic in terms of energy. And I think it's that the Alexander people would probably say it's very similar. Okay. Uh, But but the approach is a little different. And for them, it's intent. It's the intent not to do anything. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, but it's these tiny tweaks, isn't it, that mm. makes the difference in in all of these things. It's this, it's like the same information delivered slightly differently, um, yeah. with yeah. massive changes. Uh, yeah. I, I totally agree. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure that the the singing teachers and singers at home can can take on some of that information in terms of feet, elbows, and alignment, and see um, what they come up with. And through our Facebook page and through our email and website. Um, mm-hmm. If anybody's trying that out, we'd love to hear what happens to yeah. you. Yeah, be really good. Um, so we've got a couple of uh, we've got a couple of questions that have come in from the Facebook page um, after we mentioned that you would be on. Uh, I'd like to pose the first one to you, if I may. And um, this this question comes from Mindy, uh, and I think she is probably aware of your anatomical background uh, and in movement. And she wants to know if you use anything like balance boards or yoga balls um, when you instruct clients to help find their core or physicality like that. What, what would you say to that? I certainly have been through periods where I use them. And first of all, you have to know that I don't teach uh, hours of individual singing anymore. I, work, I run workshops and courses, so I'm not as likely to use things like that. Um, <clears throat> I did, and it helps people get balanced. Uh, excuse me, um, but it's when they get off that board that they have to stay balanced. And it's sometimes the teacher fails to bring <clears throat> what they got on the balance board in, back into the singing, and the student does the same thing perception-wise. I found this all the time. You say. Um, do this, and they, they do it perfectly, and then you go, well, now let's sing, and they go back to their old way. So there's got to be, the teacher's role is to make the adjustment work in the singing, and not let go of it, not just use that, okay, we got balance, you sounded 
a zillion times better because your body was having to work to to hold you up, then you weren't worrying about what you were doing with your head and your neck and your mouth and your tongue and God knows what else you were thinking about. Um, and so the body started to work naturally and easily. Um, but it's now, okay, now step off the board and let's keep that. Right, yeah. And that, in terms of, uh, and uh, you're describing it there as, as a, a benefit because of its distraction rather than its activation of certain muscles. No, I think it's a benefit both ways, but certainly it's a benefit because of its distraction. Excellent. So, next question, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I'm going I'm to reword this question a little bit because I think that there's... Um, is this be useful? From Sarah? Is that Sarah? 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 Sarah. Sarah. Because um, I'm sure there's many people out there that would be listening to this thinking, I've got something going on with my voice that I need to fix, or... Um, that I want to get better. Um, they're looking for value from 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 you on this. Mm-hmm. So we could mention many different scenarios of people with problems. And so if we put it that way to you, this question, for one scenario, I'm a husky singer, and mm. I want to get through my range from bottom to top consistently. What would you do to help me? Say that again. You're a husky singer. Yeah, and and I struggle to get through the passaggio. Throughout the whole range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they mentioned the passaggio here, but I think that's what we're saying is, how would I create the consistency from bottom to top? I've got a husky voice. What would you do with me if I walked in into the room with you right now? I'd first of all want to know if that voice was husky deliberately, because there are people who deliberately sing that way. Okay. I would want to know if there was also a clear sound somewhere. If the sound is not clear anywhere doing other styles, other things that you're doing, then I might send them to for the ENT guy to have a look at. Okay. Because um, the word husky is a funny word. Does that mean horse? Does that mean, you know, what does it mean? But as a teacher, I'm listening for clarity somewhere. If they choose to do that as a style, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, oh, God, it's, uh, the name has left my brain. Um, but he used a Husky style for years, and I, he's, I thought he sounded like a first-class case of vocal pathology. <laughs> and then he came out with a recording fairly recently, and he's old. He's like in his 60s. It's, not, it's not Robert Plant, is it? Who? Robert Plant. No. And the voice was crystal clear. It was beautiful. And apparently that was the the style that he sang when he was young was a husky style. So that would would be the first thing I would want to know. Is this because you want to sing this way and this is intentional or... And if that would be good for that voice. Uh, So there would be a lot of questions in my mind and I would play with that voice. One of the issues over here in the U.S. is that people are hearing one little bit of hoarseness and sending everybody to the ENT, and I'm going, the ENTs must be just so rich. Um, (laughs) Yes. And it's an expensive affair to go to the ENT all the time as well. I mean, uh, um, each each time you go, it's like 300 quid. There are things you can do. It's like, where is the voice clear? When they laugh, is it clear? When they, you know, what kind of sounds do they make? So you can play 
with a lot of different sounds and just, you know, most teachers I know have really good ears. Uh, and it's just a matter of then saying, I still have a question as a teacher. And if I have that question, then I'm going to say I would prefer uh, a person whose work is this to, to look at this. I'm not going to make a diagnosis. The other thing I see a lot in the U.S., oh, my God, the teachers are all doctors now. Um, they're making these diagnoses just from somebody making a comment on the Internet, which scares me. Um, and, and it's not that the doctor knows everything. There are a lot of alternative ways of dealing with these things but certainly for that i'd want to know if the vocal folds are healthy mm. let's just say the, let's just say hypothetically that they were healthy what would be mm. one of the first uh, you said you play around with the voice and and mm. it comes back to your thing you said about being creative i guess mm. and, and there isn't again a system for this but just uh, one of the things that you might you might use or do with this person uh, if they if they got the all clear sound they want to make, okay. And I the first question I ask the student is, tell me how you would like to be described as a singer. How would you like your voice described? If somebody said, I heard you sing, Chris, and your voice was, what would you say? Well, they normally say incredible. Ah, I'm not. <laughs> And I'm playing that down a bit because, you know, it's, it gets a bit embarrassing. And it's delusion. I, what I usually demand from somebody is what adjectives would you like to hear about your voice? It could be warm, it could be clear, it could be bright, it could be um, velvet. That might be your husky voice, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, or it could be, uh, you know, rough silk. It could be anything. It could be color. And, and I want people... Because that sets the intent, and that's really, really important, that you know what you want. So then as a teacher, then I have to say, okay, uh, A, if it's a healthy sound, and if other parts of this voice are, are in balance, then let's, let's see what we can do with this voice, and what kind of repertoire would it sound good in, and what kind of... Or do I want to take them on another path and say, would you mind experimenting with me for a while and let's hear what your clear voice sounds like? Mm. So all, so, op all options are on the table, basically, and then the singer can be much more informed as to the direction in which they want to go. Yeah. Great advice, and that was for Sarah. I um, hope that was useful. Uh, so um, that concludes our questions. Uh, yeah, if, can I say one thing about options? You know, oh, yes. for me, we have a sea of possibilities. There's not only one answer or one possibility or one option. And that's where we go amiss because we're so worried we'll do something wrong. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's also a lot of scrutiny out there for teachers um, uh, anyway. So, mm. you know, it, I can, you can see conversations happening online anyway that make teachers even more afraid to experiment or even just to say... I don't get it, uh, which is another another powerful thing to be able to say, isn't it? When when, when no one gets it. Yeah, when no one gets <laughs> it. No, but the thing is, when no one gets it, there's always someone that definitely gets it. Yeah, but yeah. it's like what? Um, but but yeah. So I th I do think um, there's a there's a, a, an unfortunately growing culture on online that that is very critical of people. So yeah, it'd be nice to break out of that a little bit more with with exactly how you said it.
Yeah, and when you work with self-development, you know that your language and your thoughts count. So if I'm being critical of someone, I'm actually sending them a negative negative energy, which they don't need. Mm. Yeah, it has okay? to be constructive. And I have to allow them to think the thoughts they're going to think. It doesn't interfere with my work. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll just put their hands up. Exactly. Um, okay. Thanks so much, Mirabeth. Um, uh, I wanted to uh, obviously talk to you briefly, actually, about uh, core singing itself. Um, that it's a uh, it's a teacher certification program incorporating elements that we've spoken about in today's interview a lot. Um, and uh, would you be able to tell any teacher out there who is interested in that program? Um, how to get in touch with you about it, how to access it, and then, and then things that you've offered us too. Okay. Well, there's certainly bits and pieces in, in Facebook Live on the Core Singing page on Facebook. Uh, there's a coursinging.org website, which is not as up-to-date as I would like. We're going to work on that shortly. And also they can email me at info at coursinging.org. Um, I'm happy to Skype with anybody who wants to discuss the program and whether it will fit their needs. Um, and um, in, so that's the way it is. There's no book on it, and uh, I haven't done that. And having a debate in my head whether I do want to do a book, it, it's, really, it's really more live media than mm. on a book. And... So that's, I think you asked me another part of that question, which I haven't answered. Um, but that's, that's what they should do. The program normally is five days, but I'm offering it as a personal mentorship uh, online through Skype or some other online uh, system. That, and I'm offering people who are listening to this um, webcast, podcast, a $300 discount. Um, and it would consist of about 12, 13, at least hour and a half individual sessions with me over several months. So Amazing. Um, that's the way we work it. And I, it, at first I enjoy, I love the group ones and I had to experiment a little bit with the individual ones, but now I, I love them just as much because that person gets my undivided attention for all of their issues and all of their the things they're working on. And it's a program that works with healing. I teach some elements of energetic healing in there as well. It's an important part of the concept of the course. So it is not all about just singing technique. It's about living technique. <laughs> you know, about, about living <laughs> in general. Which is obviously quite important for us right now, isn't it? Mm. Don't play it down, guys. So anybody who wants to take advantage of that extremely kind discount from Mary Beth there, um, we will put the links in the podcast show notes to the Facebook page, um, the uh, website, and all the information that was mentioned in case you are interested in finding out more about core singing. Um, but for now, thank you so much for joining us. It's incredibly enlightening and such a different perspective on singing. Oh, thank you. It's great fun. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and, and I just want to—I just want to add there that it's uh, obviously—you uh, you see, in the singing world, singing teacher world, a, there is a lot of talk, and mm. there is no doubt that that um, you have a very strong following um, across the world, Mary Beth. Mm. And I think that we, we spoke about this before, didn't we? That that we had an idea as to why that might be, and after 
this interview. I think it's very, very. I, I can definitely see why. It's such a, such a refreshing um, and um, uh, important philosophy that you live by and approach that you use and, and I for one am fully in support of everything that you've uh, you've said today so thank you so much for your time mm. and we'd like to obviously help you to stay in that palatial environment that you've got used to right there so bring on the business <laughs> <laughs> yes yes exactly um so thank you very much and let me tell you I manifested this Last all of last year, I kept saying what would be ideal for me would be to live in a guest house in Rancho Santa Fe. And a month ago, I moved in to this guest house in Rancho Santa Fe. And there's a huge uh, estate here with a guest house, and the guest house is by the pool, as you can see, and that's where I live. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to say, "Come on down, guys." I thought that was going to turn into an invite, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. And she laughs it off. I'll give you another That's... chance. I'll give you another chance to do it. Go on. Go on. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. She just said, okay, brush it off. He'll, he'll forget. Um, uh, thank you so much, Mowbreath. Much appreciated. It's very, very much fun. I love talking with you, so I'd, I'd love to do it again soon. We, we definitely will. Thank you.